Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is November the 8th, 2022. That means, I don't know if you've heard, there's a little voting that is going on today, right? Election day, um, get out there and vote, exercise your civic right and your civic duty. However, and this is all I'm going to say about this, remember Psalm 146. Verse three, especially, do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground on that very day. Their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Um, I don't know how voting is going to turn out. I don't know what the turnout for voting will be. I would imagine it will be rather high. Um, you know, every election is a high stakes election. I, I refuse to offer any commentary on anything at all other than this. It doesn't matter what happens in your or my uh, expectations. What matters is that God is on the throne. No matter what, no matter who is elected, anything like that, God is on the throne. God knows what he's doing. Trust in the Lord. Blessed or happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, not those who trust in princes and politicians and governments and all that. Mm -mm. Nope, nope, nope. And I didn't write this. This is God's words on 146, three through five. So keep those things in mind, no matter what takes place today. But get out there, exercise your civic duty, your civic responsibility, your uh, your privilege. Go out there and vote. So anyway, that being said, welcome again to you this morning, whether you are here live or maybe you are here. For all I know, you'll be here November the 9th or some other time, and loading, uh, voting will be long gone by then, and that's fine too. But I welcome you, no matter when or why or where you are. Um, today, we are picking up where we left off. <clears throat> Yesterday, we were making our way through John chapter 13, and we saw Jesus predicting his betrayal by Judas, right? And we got all the way to the end. We also talked about atonement right? How salvation works, who Jesus died for on the cross, all of those different things. Go back and watch yesterday's devotional. I'm not going to go back to that right now, but be aware that that is where we left off. And today we will pick up with Jesus predicting the betrayal of another traitor. What's the difference? You know, you, you probably know who it is. Judas, of course, sold Jesus. Um, Peter, when Jesus needed him the most, would deny him. What's the difference between the two? Well, we know how they end up is a big difference, right? But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Our Father, please be with us right now. Guide us in this time. Help us to see the value of Jesus Christ as Lord in as much as it's possible for us to see that. Give us a sense of gratitude, a sense of appreciation, a sense of awe as we consider your son and our savior, and as we consider these two traitors, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, again, we are at a fascinating, um, hold on one second. I need to find a reference. Here we go. Yes. <clears throat> okay, sorry about that. I, I lost my place and I had to find it again. Now, we are in an interesting place as we make our way through the gospel according to John. As I said, yesterday we saw Judas's betrayal predicted by Christ. But where we pick up today, we find out about another betrayal. And before we even get into it, you have to ask yourself, which one is worse? Now, we know what Judas is going to do. Judas is simply going to be the bag man, right? He's going to be the one that helps <clears throat> the temple guards bag Jesus. Uh, he's going to be the one that identifies Christ. He sells him out, telling them where he's going to be so that they can arrest him. Now, I'm not dampening that in the slightest bit, but let's think about what Peter is going to do. We're going to read about this prediction in just a moment here, but Peter, he's not going to sell Jesus into the hands of the enemy, but when Jesus is part of an illegal trial, and when all sorts of witnesses, who knows, were they bought by the Jewish leaders, probably. They paid them to say what they said because they were conflicting, and it was just people piling up on Jesus, accusing him of things he never did. So he would be sentenced to death, right? But it was at that time that Jesus most needed a witness who would tell them the truth. And yet Peter, who was there, not only refused to testify for Jesus, Peter denied ever even knowing him three times to a servant girl in public. Which one is worse? Well, admittedly, right at the start, you know, this is like comparing gunshots and stab wounds, all right? The answer is both are horrible. Both are extremely painful and both will kill you. But what separates Jesus uh, and how Jesus deals with Judas and Peter, what, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? Well, we know already from yesterday that Satan entered into Judas. So we have that, right? Yesterday we read John 13, 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So that's a difference. But I want to suggest to you that there's a much bigger difference between Judas and between Peter. And the way that that plays out is in what we find. Judas, after betraying our Lord, would hang himself, right? Peter, on the other hand, would end up being restored and would be one of the fathers of the New Testament church. Again, what separates them? Well, we're going to find out today, right? So yesterday, we ended up um, right there at the end. I'll, I'll start from verse 27. It says, as soon as Judas took the bread. Now, Jesus had just indicated to John, who was writing this, that the one that I hand this piece of bread to is the one that's going to betray me. And he does this after revealing that he is deeply troubled over this coming betrayal. Right? So that's the context. <clears throat> so, verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And then Jesus, this is Jesus talking now, he said, What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Boy, you don't want to talk about foreshadowing there. 
and it was night. You know, one of the things that Jesus has been talking about all along is this business of walking in the light, walking in the darkness, believing while it is still light so that you'll have light when the darkness comes. And yet, what do we find Judas doing? We find Judas operating by means of the night because he is not of the light. He is of the darkness. And notice what Jesus tells Judas. Again, verse 27, what you are about to do, do quickly. Jesus dismisses Judas to perform the act that leads to his perdition. He's called the son of perdition, that leads to his destruction. Jesus simply says, go and do what you must, but do it quickly. Now, that's Judas. We know what's going to happen with him. But let's read what happens next. It says in verse 31, Now when he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, I've got to remark on this. Pause right there for just a moment. Do you see what Jesus has done here? Jesus knows that as soon as Judas leaves, he knows what Judas is going to do. In other words, the wheels are in motion at this point. Jesus knows it's done. It is done. That doesn't mean that he's not going to face agony. It doesn't mean that the trial, all these things aren't going to happen. They are, but he knows that the sequence is in place. Everything has been put together and the start button has just been hit. And yet, number one, what is Jesus' focus? Well, his first focus is God being glorified, like always. That is Jesus' chief desire, that the Lord would be glorified. But what's his second focus? Well, his second focus is his disciples. Those men that he invested himself into, the 11 of them, because he knows that the 12th is gone now. He is the son of perdition. He has held on to all the others except the one that was destined for him to not hold on to. Nevertheless, he offers this new command. And isn't it fascinating that Jesus offers this right at the point of his betrayal? What does he tell them to do? He tells them not only love one another as I have loved you, but he also tells them something else. Something that ought to really get hold of us something that ought to leave an impression on us. He tells them in verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, it's fascinating what Christianity has done um, in the not too recent, you know, 2000 years old, the last hundred years or so. It's fascinating to see what Christianity has latched onto to be its core identifying characteristic. There have been some things that haven't worked out too well, like prohibition. Right? Christianity latched onto that um, as its defining characteristic, and, and the end result was disaster. 
right? We can find other things throughout Christian history that Christianity has latched onto and said, aha, by this they will know that we are his disciples. And yet, what does Jesus say will be the source of the world knowing that we belong to him? Well, it's the way that we love one another. Do I have to make commentary on that? You know, sometimes if you're insulated in a group, it, it's not hard to understand this. But if you look at how fractured we are as a church, and I'm thinking about the United States here. If you look at all the different denominations, if you look at all the different disagreements, if you look at the way that people treat one another, my goodness, people can be ugly. We're not called to do that. We're called to emulate our Lord. We're called to love as he loved. But it's after saying this that we find out about Peter. And now we're going back to the question, what separates Judas from Peter? What's the difference? Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. You know, this is, again, foreshadowing for Peter both for the disciples as a whole, Jesus is going to glory, but Jesus is also going toward his death. That would be the case with Peter and the rest of the disciples, all except for John, who, who would eventually go to exile, but nevertheless, foreshadowing, right? Peter asked, verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And disown is a good word for what Peter would do. Again, we've already talked about it. Um, in the midst of Jesus' trial, after Jesus has been arrested and savaged and all these other things, when Peter had the opportunity to testify for Jesus, he in fact said he never even knew the man. Now, the question that we face is this, knowing what happens to Judas, who will then go out and commit suicide into his own life, and knowing what happens to Peter, that indeed um, Jesus will use him to help build his church. What's the difference? Well, y'all, it all comes down to what Jesus really does here. Now, we've got to leave John 13 to see the full picture. Remember, John is writing with a specific purpose in mind. Right? He's offering the signs so that we will believe. He doesn't include everything that Matthew, Mark, and Luke include about all of this that's going on. Now, if we go to Luke chapter 22, go ahead and turn there with me. <clears throat> but Luke chapter 22, look at verse 20 with me. I'll give you a second to get there. This is Luke's telling of this exact same scene, exact same moment, exact same circumstance. And no, John doesn't contradict Luke, and Luke doesn't contradict John. This is just a matter of them including what they're including. All sorts of things happen. It's not comprehensive. This is not a manuscript of what took place at the Last Supper, right? This is a portion of the manuscript of what took place, but nobody had a stenographer there with them. They chose what they included in their Gospels. And this is what Luke included. John does it, Luke does, but it tells us the difference. Right now, we know what Jesus said to Judas Iscariot. Right to Judas, he said, Go and do what you must, but do it quickly. Jesus dismissed Judas. 
But listen to this in Luke 22, verse 20. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. So John points to this. They're troubled when Jesus is deeply troubled, right? John tells us that Peter got John to ask, hey, Lord, who's it going to be? We don't see that here. That's not included here. This is written from Luke's perspective, right? Now, what we do find is that Jesus says, woe to him. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays me. So from John, we find out that Jesus just dismisses Judas. Go and do what you must, but do it quickly. From Luke, we find out that Jesus pronounces woe upon that man. Destruction upon that man. The disciples begin to question who it's going to be. Verse 24, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be considered the greatest. Typical. The disciples in the midst of Jesus' agony, they're only focused on themselves, right? Jesus said to them, verse 25, the kings of the Gentiles ordered over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, so we don't get this business of love one another as I have loved you. Instead, what Luke focuses on is what Jesus said about service to one another. Same principle, different inclusion. It doesn't mean Jesus didn't say what he said in John. It doesn't mean that he didn't say this in Luke. It means that this is what Luke has chosen to include. But they both point to the same concept. Now, after this, listen to what happens. Jesus has already pronounced woe on Judas, right? We know from John, he's already just dismissed him. But then in verse 31, Jesus comes out and says, Simon, Simon, talking to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You know, what Jesus is doing here is he's talking about the fact that Peter is going to betray him too. Now, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? We know the outcomes. What separates them, though? There's only one thing. It's not the severity of the crime because they both betray him. It's not the conviction of their hearts. It's not that. Definitely, well, two things. Number one, Satan enters into Judas. He never enters into Peter. But why? Why? Why would Peter be restored? Well, we find out why. To Judas, woe was pronounced. And also Jesus said, go and do what you must, but do it quickly. To Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. 
Jesus would then go on to predict the exact nature of Peter's betrayal. But the answer to the question, what separates Jesus from or Judas from Peter, is only one thing. Outside of Satan entering them, the only thing that separates Judas and Peter is that Judas was told, go and do what you must, but do it quickly. Whereas Peter was told, I have prayed for you, Simon. And when you're restored, strengthen the brothers. The only thing that separates Judas and Peter is the fact that Jesus prayed for Peter, whereas Jesus simply dismissed Judas. Why is that important? Well, it would be in Romans 8 that Paul would ask, who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one. Why? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, the reason it's so important that Jesus prayed for Peter and didn't pray for Judas, the reason it's so important is that, that Peter is restored and Judas was sent to destruction, is this. Do you realize that Jesus does the same thing for you if you're following him that he did for Peter? You know, the reality is, is that we all betray Jesus on a daily basis when we choose our own way, when we follow our own path, when we decide our priorities are better than his, that our word is more important than his word. And we may not say it that way, but we live like it. What makes the difference? Not our trustworthiness. It's not our perseverance. It's not our stick-to-itiveness. What holds you and me in the midst of our betrayals is the same thing that held Peter in the midst of his. Romans 8, 34. Jesus is seated at God's right hand right now, praying for his people. And it's because of this that we are held. It's because of this that we are sustained. It's because of this that we go on from today, trusting the Lord, serving him, given more and more opportunities to testify to him and to help build his church. In short, the difference between Judas and Peter is everything. It's everything. Judas did not belong to Jesus. Peter did. The question is, do you? Of all the things we should take away from this, we should see Jesus is on a mission. Yes, that can't be denied. However, you've got to see the difference between those who belong to Jesus and those who don't. It's evidence not only in our service. It's evidence not only in how we love one another, but it is evidenced by the fact that our Lord prays for us. Do you appreciate that? Do you ever wonder what Jesus is doing right now? Well, he's praying for you. That's what he's doing. He's at God's right hand interceding for you if, you if you know him, if you're trusting in him. But if you're not, if you're not, then you're Judas. The issue is not one of betrayal. We all betray him. But if you don't know him, you're Judas. If you do know him, you're Peter. And you will be restored by his grace. Consider that today and as we continue to ramp things up. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for everybody here, and I praise you for your word. Help us, help us, help us to understand, to apply, to reflect on what it means to be known and to be loved by you. Give us grateful hearts, Father, and if there are any that do not know you, please draw them to yourself. 
Oh, what a joyous and wondrous thing it is to know that our Lord prays for us at your right hand. Please let us live in light of this great gift. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Christine. Good morning. And there is Becky and Becky and Alice. Good morning. I see Rose and Monica. And yes, Roberta, I love it too. It's actually rather cold out there. Um, yesterday, I think the high was 73. I think the high this coming Sunday is going to be around 40. I don't know. It's Virginia, but nevertheless, love it, love it. It finally feels like fall again. And then there is Elizabeth. Again, thank you all for being here. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning at seven. Until then, have a wonderful peace.